Amen. Let's open our Bibles tonight, the book of Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to be looking in just a moment. I'm reminded that every time that I or anyone stands and opens the Word of God to proclaim the truth of the Bible, the truth of God's Word, they are engaging in a spiritual battle, a war. Satan actively fights to keep the truth of God's Word from taking root in people's hearts and minds. Remember the parable of the seed that Jesus told and talked about the, uh, the seed that fell on the wayside. The birds of the air came and snatched it up. And in interpreting that parable for his disciples, he said that that was the enemy who came and took away the good seed of the Word. And as we look into the Word of God, every single time we open it up, whether it's in our private devotions, whether it's in Sunday school, whether it's in a main service like this, we just have to be aware that we do have a very real enemy, an adversary, the devil, who's going to work hard to try and distract us and to try and snatch away the good seed before it can ever take hold. It has nothing to do with the message tonight, but just something that uh, the Lord had impressed me with and, and uh, wanted to... Uh, wanted to start this evening just with that acknowledgement. Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to be looking for our text tonight for the sermon. Yesterday we had our annual worker training meeting, and uh, during that meeting, for those who were not here, we went over uh, a number of different policies and uh, through a lot of different material that uh, had to do with uh, some things about our ministry, how we run our ministry, how we do things in order to protect people. Um, and a good portion of that deals with the protection of children. Uh, all of our children's workers here um, have to be screened. That means a background check is done. That means we get references from them. They have to go through the regular training uh, that uh, deals with how to uh, uh, prevent children from being harmed and, uh, and how to protect them, uh, because we take it very seriously, uh, the responsibility we have to protect those children that the Lord brings uh, to our ministry here. And I, I want to take a few minutes tonight, uh, coming off of that training day yesterday, and then tonight being the, the Worker Appreciation Fellowship, I want to pause from our judges study and, um, and, and take some time to look at some verses here and some principles in Scripture that have to do with the uniqueness of children's ministry. In Matthew chapter 18, at verse number 1, we'll begin, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Heavenly Father, teach us from your word tonight what we need to know. Help us to be honest with ourselves. 
as we consider our views and our philosophy of teaching and rearing children. It's easy to allow worldly thinking to creep in. Sometimes it happens and we're not even aware that's what's going on until it's brought to our attention. And so, Lord, if that's the case with any of us tonight, I pray the Holy Spirit would bring it to our attention. Lord, that our thinking would come in line with the truth of your word. Lord, we do not want to be guilty of offending, causing to fall one of these little ones. We must have a biblical philosophy and practices in our homes and in our church so that we don't do that. So help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I was thinking about our children's ministry here at Philadelphia Baptist Church, it, it occurred to me that children's ministry in the church is, is a very unique thing. And it's not only unique in the content of its curriculum, but it's also unique in its purpose and its philosophy. And the church holds a very special place of privilege in ministering to children. And in doing so, we are directly following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a time in Jesus' ministry when he was, uh, he was ministering to people and teaching and healing. And, and, and some people brought their children to Jesus to bless them. And the disciples turned them away and said, no, 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 don't, don't bother Jesus with these kids. Get them out of here. And you know what Jesus said to his disciples? He stopped them and he said, suffer the little children to come unto me. Don't, don't stop them from coming to me. Allow them to come. They want to come. They've been brought here for that purpose. Bring them to me. And Jesus took time specifically to minister to children. And then as we read in our text here, Matthew chapter 18, he had a very strong warning for those who would potentially cause harm to children. He said that if you offend one of the little ones that believe in him, it would be better for you that a millstone be tied around your neck and you'd be cast into sea. Better than what? Well, better than the punishment that you will receive from God for offending a child, especially a child who is a Christian. So God holds... Uh, children in high esteem and high regard. In the context here, Jesus is asked a question by his disciples. He was asked this on a couple of different occasions. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Isn't that just like human nature? Always vying for superiority, always want to know who's going to be greatest, who's going to be better. It starts when we're little kids. I can throw a rock farther than you can. I can run faster than you can. My daddy can beat up your daddy. You know, the, all those kinds of things. Uh, we have these uh, vying for superiority, and the disciples were the, the same way. And so they asked this question, and they said, uh, who's going to be the greatest? And you know what Jesus did? He, he took a little child and brought a little child in their midst. And he said, unless you be converted and become as this child, you cannot enter in the kingdom of heaven. You know, we spend a lot of time teaching children how to grow up. But there's a lot of adults who need to learn how to grow down, how to humble themselves, to learn from the example of children, to walk in humility, and to accept the fact that we're sinners and we need a Savior. And so Jesus says in verse 4, if you humble yourself as this little child, then, then you're greatest. It's not about 
lording it over others and being powerful and being influential. It's about being humble is what Jesus is saying. So children hold a special place in the heart of God. And any time that God entrusts a young soul to our midst, we need to be careful that we steward that soul. Because how we take care of children can make an eternal difference. And in order to do that, it's vital that we as a church and as individual families have a solid understanding of what makes ministering to children different than any other setting. When we talk about Christian ministry to children, it's different than what happens in the school. It's different than what happens at the YMCA. It's different than what happens at the 4-H club. It is a very unique thing. And I'm going to focus on just two simple areas that it's different. It's unique from, from any other way that children are, are, are taught or, or, or assisted in any way. First of all, it's unique in its purpose. Second of all, it's unique in its philosophy. Ministering to children is unique in its purpose because the purpose of a children's ministry is not to teach reading or writing or arithmetic. Now, those things are important. I believe that education for children is absolutely a very important thing. And as a church, we should reinforce all of those little things that they're learning. But it is not our primary focus as a church to teach those things in the setting of church ministry. Children don't come to Sunday school to learn to count, learn to spell, or learn to read. Again, we may help them with that, but we have a very different purpose. Our purpose as a church when it comes to our children's ministry is simply this. It is to teach children the Word of God. I know that's very basic, but it's something we have to be reminded of. It all goes back to the Bible. We have to keep our focus on the main goal of sharing the gospel and teaching the foundational truths of the Bible. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 with me. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus rather. Who was the book or the letter of Second Timothy written to? Somebody tell me. Timothy, very good class. Anybody know who wrote it? Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul met Timothy when Timothy was a young man. We read about it in Acts chapter 16. And when Paul met Timothy, Timothy was already saved. And he already had a good reputation with the believers both in Derby and in Lystra. And in, in Paul's letter, we find that Timothy's faith had dwelt first in his mother, Eunice and in his grandmother, Lois. Timothy is what you would call a third generation Christian. His faith had been handed down to him through his grandmother and his mother. 
And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul makes a very important point in reminding Timothy of when and how he learned the Bible. Notice that he says, from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. The word for child there has the idea of a very small child. So from the time he was little, Timothy was learning Scriptures. Now where did Timothy learn those Scriptures? Who did he learn them from? His mother and his grandmother in the home. As a little Jewish boy, he would not be able to go to the synagogue and learn until later in his life. And so the foundation would have been laid at home through his mother and his grandmother. And notice what Paul says about these scriptures. He says, they're able to make thee wise unto salvation. The purpose of teaching the Bible to children is not to fill their head with biblical trivia. It is to bring them to a point of salvation. That is our purpose in ministering to children, is to teach them the Word of God so that first they might be saved. And then once they're saved, they they might grow in their Christian life. They might learn to do according to all the things that God has commanded us to do. That's the purpose. And listen, that is a unique purpose of children's ministry in the church. We teach the Bible. That is our focus in every way. It all revolves around that. We have to recognize that childhood is the most crucial time to learn about God. Statistically speaking, the vast majority of people who are saved are saved before they turn 18. If we were to take a poll in here tonight, greater than 80% of the people in this building this evening would have been saved before they turned 18. Now, praise the Lord, there's no cutoff date. That people can be saved at any age. But we want to teach children the Bible as soon as possible, instill in them the Word of God, because it is the Bible that can bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So ministering to children is unique in its purpose. Our purpose is to teach them the Bible. The church must take advantage of the opportunity to give children the gospel and give its full attention to imparting biblical truth to them. Look, I'm all about having fun in children's ministry. I don't know if you know this, but I'm really just a big kid. A kid at heart, at least. I love having fun with kids. I I love when we get to do vacation Bible school. I I love all of those kinds of things. And I want children to enjoy coming to church and enjoy learning about God and learning the Bible. But sometimes in our effort to make it fun, we cross over the line and it becomes more about fun and less about the instruction in the Word of God. And we have to be careful that we maintain that balance and that we keep our focus on teaching the Word of God. Children's ministry is unique because of its purpose of teaching the Bible. But then it's also unique in its philosophy. That is, not only what we do, but how we do it. Because we do things, we strive to do things according to biblical principles and commands. That is our philosophy of ministry. It's not just the content, but also how we approach and how we teach children and how we interact with them. That's different. 
than anywhere else in the world. Now, we could honestly spend months talking about our philosophy of ministry and how it relates to children's ministry and all of the different ways, but I know that you want to eat food tonight. So I'm going to limit it to just three different areas in which the philosophy of church ministry is different from a secular and worldly philosophy. Number one, our philosophy of ministry is different because we believe in biblical parental authority. We believe in biblical parental authority. God has ordained three levels of authority in the world. On the most, when you just boil it down, you have the home, you have the church, and you have government. Those are the three basic levels of authority. The home is the very first level, and it was the first established by God, and it was done so at creation. When God created Eve and brought her to Adam, and they were joined together, God officiating the very first marriage, the home was ordained by God then and there. And that's the first and the most important level of authority. Now, in the home, you have the husband and wife, and often God blesses the husband and the wife with children. And the parents are the ones who have the first responsibility to teach and to train their children. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, look with me at verse number 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Who did God give the responsibility to teach children to first? Who did he give that responsibility to? The parents. He said, you are to teach your children. You're to do the teaching in your house. You are to train them. You are to teach them. It is the parents' responsibility, and that means the parents have the authority. A biblical philosophy of authority is this, whoever is responsible has the authority. Whoever will give account to God is the person who has the authority in any given sphere. And in the context of the home, and the context of children, it is the mother and father who will answer to God for how that child was raised. And therefore, they have the authority to teach that child as God wants that child to be taught. That's important when it comes to church ministry because we recognize that as a church, it is not our job to take the parent's place. It is our job to support the parent as they instill biblical truth in their child. Now, we recognize that not every parent does that as they should. But at no point can we step in and take the place of the parent. We cannot do that, and we should not even try. 
Now, this is different from the world's philosophy. Many secular people think that children belong to the community and that it's the community's responsibility to raise these children as the community deems best. That kind of, a think, of thinking is unbiblical, and I go so far as to say it is diabolical. The children that God has given me and my wife, those are our children, not yours. We will answer to God for how we have taught our children. And therefore, we have the authority and we ought to have then the liberty to teach them as we ought. So in a context of a church, as a church ministry, we are always going to defer to the parents. They are the ones who ultimately will answer to God for how this child is taught. Our goal is to help. Our goal is to support. Our goal is to reinforce. But we cannot take the parent's place. Ultimately, the parent decides what, how, and if their children are brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, as Ephesians 6, 4 commands. So we're unique in our philosophy because we have a biblical view of parental authority. These children were given by God to these parents, and we're just here to help. But then we're unique in our philosophy because we believe in the problem of sin. We believe in the problem of sin. One of the core truths of the gospel is that there is such a thing called sin. Sin, as defined by God, is whenever we break one of God's rules. Sin is the transgression of the law. And not only is there sin, but also we are all sinners. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 also says, Wherefore, as by sin, uh, one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 3.10, There is none righteous, no, not one. The world would have us believe that all of us are basically good. And we become bad because of external circumstances or problems from the outside. But the Bible says that the problem is not from the outside, it's on the inside. We are all sinners. That is unique to a biblical view of ministering to children. And in the context of teaching children, it is of the greatest importance that we maintain a biblical position that they are all sinners. Thankfully, many children make it easy for us. You know what I mean? <laughs> they do something and it's like, yep, you're a sinner. And they, they start at such a young age. Before they can even fully form sentences sometimes, you know, they're displaying a sinful streak. They're rebellious. They're selfish. They're disobedient. The problem is sin. We're all born with it. Now, we recognize that, but we sometimes fail to apply that in dealing with children. And this is an effect of living in a culture that is just inundated with worldly philosophy when it comes to child rearing. Many years ago, back when I was in Bible college, you know, before electricity and modern communication, things like that, I was in a class one day and a man came in. Uh, who had a 
very unique ministry. He ministered to men who had severe mental disabilities. And he came in and told us a little bit about his ministry, shared some stories of things that he had encountered, and it was pretty serious stuff. And in the course of him talking to our class that day, he made a statement that has stuck with me ever since. I mean, he, he dealt with some of the worst case scenarios of men who are severely um, disabled mentally, had, had sometimes, you know, very you know, like traumatic brain injuries and different things like that. But in dealing with them, he had a principle that he always operated by, and it was this. This is what has stuck with me. He said, if the action is sin, the problem is sin. If the action is sin, the problem is sin. That's a very simple adage, but it's pretty profound, especially in our day and age today, because the world does not believe that. Now, let me acknowledge very quickly that there may be physical, neurological, or psychological complications that make it more difficult for a child, say, to obey or to control their temper. But those complications do not excuse the sin. And what the world wants to do is deal only with the complications and ignore the root of the problem, which is sin. The world wants to diagnose every bad behavior as some kind of a disorder. You know, it's not sin It's not disobedience, it's not rebellion, it's some kind of a disorder. There's one I heard about years ago, and and, uh, I looked it up just to make sure this was still a thing. And sure enough, uh, there's an official diagnosis. Let me read to you what it is called. It is called Oppositional Defiant Disorder. Oppositional Defiant Disorder, ODD for short. Here's the definition according to Google. It is a disorder in a child marked by defiant and disobedient behavior to authority figures. The cause of oppositional defiant disorder is unknown, but likely involves a combination of genetic and environmental factors. So little Johnny... The teacher says, Johnny, I need you to come up to the board and write the numbers 1 through 10. And little Johnny says, no. And the world says, oh, poor little Johnny. He has oppositional defiant disorder. Now, believe it or not, I actually agree with part of what they say here about this condition. I don't agree that it's a disorder. But I do agree that it is uh, something that is found often in children marked by defiance and disobedient behavior to authority figures. And I also believe that it is somewhat, in fact, entirely genetic. Because if you have human DNA, you're going to be prone to rebellion. But we call it a disorder. And so we treat it as a disorder. We completely ignore any spiritual component. We completely ignore the sin in the heart. And we say, no, it's just this, it's just that. You know what? A child may have a neurological disorder that makes it more difficult for them 
And there, there are lots of ways in which there is a physical or a psychological component that makes obedience to the word of God more difficult for us. You know why? Because we live in a world cursed by sin. To use a, a, an easy illustration, a person who has become addicted to alcohol is going to find it much more difficult to obey the scriptural instructions of avoiding alcohol and drunkenness because they have their body has become chemically dependent on that. But that chemical dependency does not excuse the sin. And we're unique as we minister to children because we don't say, little Johnny, we just want you to know that at your heart, you are actually a very good boy. Just like you are, and we just want to help you be you. Whatever you is to you. You know, that's what the world does. And that's, folks, that's how we end up in situations where, and this is, this is not exaggeration, look this up, where we have children saying, I'm not, I'm not a boy, I'm not a girl, I'm a cat. Or identifying as some kind of an animal. That's how we end up in a situation where there's so much confusion amongst children because adults are not taking seriously their responsibility to explain to children reality. Children do not get to define their own reality. God has defined reality for all of us. And as adults, our responsibility is to teach them that, to guide them into that. And that begins with an understanding that we are spiritual beings who have a spiritual problem called sin. And if that problem is not dealt with, we may be able to mask the symptoms through certain treatments and medications, but it's not going to cure the problem. We have to avoid the worldly philosophies and methodologies that are spiritually damaging children by ignoring the problem of sin. And then finally, we are unique in ministering to children because we believe in our philosophy of something called personal accountability. In every child's life, in every person's life just about, there comes a point where they understand the difference between right and wrong. They know that they ought to choose right and not choose wrong. Some may refer to that as the age of accountability. It's not a set number, and it may be different for everyone, but there does come a point where children understand the difference between right and wrong. Now, I will say this. I think that in the case of severe mental disability, a person may never reach that point, and they may remain in innocence. But I think that is a very, very small exception. I think most, most people, and certainly all people who, who, who do not have those disabilities, they come to that knowledge early in their childhood. And what we need to remember is that as we deal with ch children, we deal with them, here's the concept, as free moral agents, to use a fancy phrase. In other words, they make choices and they have to be held responsible for the choices they make. That's a simple truth, but it is a truth ignored by our world today. Our world says, you are not responsible for your choices. 
You're not responsible for your choices. You made those choices because of how you were raised, because of your environment, because of your circumstances. That You can't be held accountable for that. That's what the world says. The world wants to be able to choose to do whatever it wants to do without consequence, without repercussion. Folks, that's not reality. Reality is we are all accountable to God for the choices that we make. And that is something that must be instilled in children from the earliest age. I'm talking from infancy. The foundation, the groundwork needs to be being laid to help children understand as early as possible that what they do, they do by choice and they are responsible for their choices. Because ultimately, one day they're going to answer to God for their choices. What does Hebrews 9.27 tell us? It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. That little child, I know that they're sweet, cute, and sometimes they do things wrong, and it's just, it's almost laughable. It's funny. But we have to understand that that sin that begins manifesting itself early in their life is sin that they're going to have to answer to God for one day if not repented of. They have, to, they have to learn that it is important to consider the consequences and to make good choices. That's why it's so important when a child is young and they begin to show that rebellious nature that you confront that rebellious nature. Our, with all of our children... This has happened in the past. We've had a showdown. There came a point where where they said they weren't going to do something or they refused to obey. And we said, no, you're going to do this. And they didn't want to do it. And we said, no, you're going to do it. And now it became a test of the wills, you know. Is their stubborn will going to outlast our will? And, you know, as a parent, if you haven't faced that, you will. Probably more than once. And that is a crucial time in a child's life. That they must understand that they have a responsibility to obey. It is their choice to make and they need to make it. Now, as they get older, they need to understand a lot more about the why. But when they're really young, they just need to understand the what. That is, you do what you're told to do. Now, now my children have an especially hard-headed dad. So, when they were interacting with me sometimes, it wasn't, wasn't hard for me to just say, no, you're doing this, you know. But you know what? There were many times where I was tempted to give in and just say, fine, okay, whatever, just do it. Because you know what? To, to have have that showdown, to have that confrontation, to deal, deal with that stubborn will of theirs, to, to, to take the sin and deal with it head on is exhausting. And it's something that honestly we would rather not do. It would be wonderful if our children came into this world as perfect little angels. But unfortunately that never going to happen because they had us as parents, right? And a lot of times just because we're impatient or because we don't want to deal with it, A lot of times, we don't deal with it. 
And in doing that, understand this, we're endangering our children. It is the loving thing to do to help them understand that they are responsible to make right choices. From the earliest age, they need to understand that. We believe in parental authority. We believe in the problem of sin. We believe in personal accountability. And we could say a whole lot more about our philosophy of dealing with children, a biblical philosophy of rearing children. But understand that the secular world rejects all of these basic principles. You're not going to get these truths from the secular world. And if you get any variation that looks like maybe it's close to that, it's, it's, the, it's the exception, not the rule. The world's philosophy is completely counter to biblical truth. Those who do not believe in God or the Bible, they think it's wrong to teach children what to believe about God. I read a story in a, a paper uh, some time ago about a, uh, a family that had been investigated by um, the... Uh, the family services, somebody had made an accusation against them and it was a Christian family and uh, the courts were threatening to take away the children out of the home. And in the court case, there was one of the, the, the children was a teenage girl and she was actually talking with the judge and the judge said to this girl that, that uh, he believed that she needed to be taken out of the home. Not because of any wrongdoing that he could prove, but these were his words. He believed that her Christian worldview needed to be filtered through a larger worldview. See, the world thinks if you tell your children, this is what the Bible says, this is what's true about God, and you should believe it, the world says that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You should let them decide for themselves what their truth is. The world does not believe in biblical parental authority and responsibility. Many of them embrace a communal approach and say, no, the the children belong to the community. They belong to the state. You need to send them to us so we can teach them properly. Thankfully, we are still at a place in America where we have the freedom to teach our children how we deem best. But you know, there are a lot of places in this world where they do not have that freedom. It is law of the land that you must turn your children over and let them teach them how they want to be taught. And to go against that, you have to make yourself an outlaw. The world does not believe in personal accountability to God or any moral authority for that matter. They reject the truth that sin is the root cause of our problems and instead they insist on a physical, a neurological or psychological diagnosis to explain every destructive behavior. But regardless of the prevalence of worldly philosophy, we must stand on the truth of the Word of God and be guided by its commands and principles. And that means ministering to children in a biblical fashion. If we fail to do that, and we cause one of these young people to stumble and to fall, if because of our action or our inaction, we cause one of these children to reject God. Yes, they will answer for their own choice, but we will answer for the influence that we had. And based on the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
I don't want to be in that position to have to answer for having made a child fall from God, to reject God, to not be saved to spend eternity in hell. I want to strive to be biblical, to stand on the truth of God's Word, and to teach children that truth. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for entrusting us with all of these lives, these young people in this ministry. Lord, what a joy it is that we have so many. Lord, I thank You for the families and the parents who have entrusted their children to our care. Lord, help us to be good stewards of that. And Lord, I thank You for everyone who ministers to our children here, from those who work in the nursery, through the Sunday school, the Wednesday night programs, the teen program, and every casual interaction with our young people. Lord, I know that we have many, many people in our midst who have a genuine heart for children to see them taught in your ways so that they would come to know Christ as their Savior. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would protect the testimony of our ministry as we strive to do all things excellently and to protect these children from harm. And Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to guide them and to demonstrate to them with our lives how to live in a holy and a righteous manner. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.